Welcome to another episode of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. I'm Sarah, and I'm a certified sexologist and coach, and I help people like you overcome shame, explore your sexuality, and communicate more meaningfully about sex. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you love the tips, stories, and insights that we dish out about sex, then do drop by my website, sarahsense.com, and join my email community so that you can get a lot more of this regularly in your inbox. I would also love it if you supported this podcast by checking out our sponsors. The brands that are featured here are carefully selected because they align with the vision of this podcast, and I try all their products myself, so I have no reservations about recommending them. Oh My Bod is a female-founded brand leader of luxury and technology-enabled pleasure products that aims to shatter the stigma of self-pleasure. With over 15 years under their belt, Oh My Bod has been featured in publications like Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, Men's Health, and Rolling Stone. Today, Oh My Bod has a huge range of award-winning products, and they've made their signature club vibe functionality even cooler, so you can sync the vibrations of your favorite toy to the ambient sounds from the surroundings. This could be a sexy playlist or even your lover's voice, which puts a whole new spin on Dirty Talk. Right now, Oh My Bod is offering 30% off site-wide for Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. Plus, with every purchase made, you'll receive a free Love Life Discover, their petite travel-friendly vibrator. Give the gift of pleasure this holiday season and keep some for yourself. Use code BLACKCYBER30 at checkout. Check out Oh My Bod at lovelifetoys.com. That's lovelifetoys.com. So today we're talking about the topic of ethical porn. And sometimes when I say to people the word ethical porn, (laughs) I get the response, huh? What? Does that even exist? So I really wanted to shed some light on this because it's like when we call our food organic or we call our makeup cruelty-free. It's really important to understand what's behind the label so that we can counter some of that instinctive skepticism. I understand that porn is a trigger point for many people, and I myself can see the issues that arise from the prevalence of mainstream porn, especially since it has now become the de facto sex education for many people. I can also see the benefits of porn in terms of its impact on desire, arousal, and fantasy. And in the right context, it can even be used as a tool to open up conversations around sex. So on this episode, I hope to explore some alternative perspectives on porn and present to you the idea that not all porn is created equal. 
My intention is that this episode will help to challenge some of the stereotypes that are commonly held around porn and the porn industry so that you will be empowered to make the most mindful and informed choices for yourself in terms of what you consume. Penis owners and penis lovers, I can't wait to tell you all about Promescent. Promescent is a premium sexual health company which makes a signature delay spray that's clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. When I tried the spray with a partner, I was surprised at how quickly it worked, how long it lasted, and how little transfer there was during sex. Nothing felt numb, we just had a sensational time. And my partner felt like he could have gone on for longer. Next time I use it, I'm clearing my schedule. And don't just take my word for it. Over 2,000 healthcare professionals also recommend Promescent. So check out promescent.com. They have a full line of products from lubricants to supplements, everything you'll need for longer lasting, more satisfying sex, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Promescent is spelled P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Now I'm really excited to introduce to you my guest for this episode. Polita Papel is a film producer, pornographer, director, screenwriter, podcaster, and performer. She is the co-founder of the amateur porn site, Lustery, and the co-founder of the hardcore porn production company, Hard Work. She also organizes and curates the Berlin Porn Film Festival. So welcome to Better in Bed, Polita. Hi, Sarah. Happy to be here. Hi. So nice to have you here. Okay, so... First of all, congrats on the recent Berlin Porn Film Festival that wrapped up at the end of October. I think it's 17th year, right? How amazing. How did it go for you this year? It was really, really good. To be honest, the very first time that I was at the Porn Film Festival, and this is back in like 2010, it felt for me like the greatest place on earth. The festival has always meant for me like a place where there's other rules in terms of how people approach sexuality and, mm. of course, pornography. Mm. And after two years of pandemic, this year it was like, again, full cinemas. A lot of people, international people that come, you know, all the way from New York or even like everywhere all over the world, like they came back and it really felt like a reunion and it really felt like... We said, like, we call it the porn Christmas gathering, you know, it really feels like a family coming together. And we were saying, you know, at the beginning, like, Merry Porn Film Festival. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about what is just the vision and the direction of the Berlin Porn Film Festival? So in primarily the Berlin Porn Film Festival is a film festival. So the, at the core, it's a really like quite big curated film program. This year we had over 100 short films and I think over 40 long features. And that includes not just porn, the title maybe implies, but really it's a film festival 
with different film genres from fiction, documentary, experimental, short. And it's everything and anything related to sex, sexuality, but also like body politics, feminism, LGBTQI plus stories and politics. So it's a lot. And what we're really trying to do is like open conversations around these topics because most of them, they're taboo. And, you know, we're just not used to watch and have these conversations, to watch these films and have these conversations in a kind of like a public space. So we're bringing people together. And then after each film screening, there's Q&As with the performers, with the directors. So we're really trying to show the human part also of porn, specifically like showing it in its diversity. Because we try to have as many different perspectives and, you know, just basically bodies, sexualities, identities, sexual practices and desires. The more, the merrier. We try to have everything there and really give, show people like what a big scope porn actually has. Because as you were saying at the beginning, people think like, oh, porn all looks the same and, you know, and it's this and that. And that's just not the reality. Yeah. (laughs) So we're showing like the full scope of what porn can And we try and the program that goes around it, it's like lectures, panels, workshops. So we're trying also to invite people to really reflect on the topics that we're addressing. Mm. I think that's really special. So it's quite a comprehensive and inclusive festival, which covers like many different aspects of film and porn. And you mentioned this taboo topic of talking about porn, right? Because I think a lot of people identify with the taboo nature of porn because so many people watch porn, but nobody wants to talk about it. So I know that you've been involved in the film festival for quite a few years now. And I was curious from your perspective, do you think the conversation around porn is shifting? And what direction do you think it's actually heading in? I absolutely believe that the conversation is shifting and that makes me really happy. (laughs) I think just 10 years back, for example, with my first film, I shot 2008. So yeah, I could do the math, but definitely more than 10 years. (laughs) And uh, back then, every conversation I would have, for example, with a journalist, they would be like, why is porn bad? And why is that that you're doing different? And I was like, ah, you know, it's a very simplified approach. And like the whole discussion around porn was like, porn is bad, generally, full stop. And now what I'm seeing is specifically in media, like way more journalists that are better informed, really. You know, the industry feels like such a black box, like nobody knows what's going on in there. And there's so many like myths and like negative prejudices against it going around. And I feel now there's being a bit more... Porn has become a topic that we speak more about. I think, you know, that the taboo is is slowly (laughs) like melting away. And that allows for like differentiated conversations around the topic and for, you know, a more nuanced way of approaching it where we can be like, well, this is not great, but this is actually not that bad. And this is actually great. The way you were talking about it in the introduction, like there are definitely things that we need to be looking at and criticizing and making better, but there is a lot of things that are really good that we're not seeing and that we're slowly now starting to see in like in different media and not just in like terms of like newspaper articles, but also in the way in different like documentaries, right? Or even fiction films, like the way the porn industry has been presented, I think was very one-sided and very biased before. And I feel like now there's a more nuanced conversation. Yeah. But I think also a lot of people get their impressions and perceptions and stereotypes 
about porn because the most easily accessible kind of porn, which is the stuff that you really get for free, that does tend to be a little bit one-dimensional at the moment. I mean, I love what you're doing with the film festival that it is showing porn in all its many diverse forms. And I'm not sure that sometimes people are able to understand that, you know. Absolutely. And I think that is a big problem. And from my perspective, I believe the problem is that porn is so discriminated again, up to the point of obviously being banned in certain countries, of course, that our ways of distribution are very hard. The way for me to reach my audience, people that I hope like want to see my films, it's just so hard. At the end of the day, what I think is porn is just a film genre. But instead of like being treated as such, it's being treated as something different, something that has to be under the counter on like the margin of society. And that makes it just really, really hard, especially for like independent, small alternative production companies to actually put out our product out there and that people can reach it. Exactly. As you say, like if people just Google porn, yeah. you know, the first thing that's going to come up, it's not my films, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I would like it to be. <laughs> right there working on my CEO <laughs> yeah. but it's just not what it is and as you're saying like because of the shift that porn has had in the last 10 years due to the this business model the free tubes mm. which basically means there is platforms where porn is for free apparently of course nothing is for free yeah. in this world yeah. you know what I mean yeah. But that's the impression that people get, right? And these business models will basically, to summarize it very, like, simplifying it, basically they're working on quantity instead of quality, right? They just want as much traffic as possible so they can sell ads and that's how they make money. So obviously when you're working on mass quantity over quality, you're not going to get the best product. It's just obvious. And I think that is one of the biggest problems. Like the industry right now, the business models that work are these like mass quantity versus instead of quality model and everyone else that is doing like, like trying different things and exploring maybe different formats, different, you know, all of that. We're just not getting a piece of the cake because it's so hard for us to compete against that. Whereas we're still fighting like discrimination, shadow banning on all possible social platforms, discrimination in terms of like payment providers and so on and so forth. Mm, yeah, lots of barriers and obstacles in the adult industry. So besides the festival, is there anything else that you're working on that you're really passionate about? I'm just now really excited about a course, an online course that we're about to launch. Oh. Um, yeah, this is really hot news okay. just for you yes. exclusively. Yes. Uh, <laughs> tell us all about it. So with Lustry, which is the platform that I have that we can talk about later, we have an online magazine, basically, that is kind of like our educational entertainment resources, like say for work, so no porn. But it's something that we do because we think there's such a lack of sex ed. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you <laughs> oh, yeah. or your listeners that we all know. But we decided, we were talking about like how scarce porn literacy is, like how little resources there are out there mm -hmm. for people to understand better what is porn, how can I consume it, and so on and so forth. And on the other side, I feel like there's more and more of this narrative of like porn is addictive. You should quit it altogether. You should quit masturbation. I mean, no, not November, right? I think it's a horrible, <laughs> religious yeah. motivated, like absolutely not science-based approach that is very harmful to a lot of people, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. So we decided to do an online course that it's called How to Watch Porn for all of the pleasure with none of the shame. 
yeah, it's an online course with eight lessons where we give a lot of information around what is porn, but also like what are sexual fantasies, what is desire, and just trying to equip people with the tools to understand better what porn is and what place it can take in their lives and sexuality. And for them to, at the end of the day, take their own informed decisions. You know, if that means not watching porn, fine. Ideally, if that means watching porn in a way that is more intentional and more like aware and wholesome, <laughs> that's the goal of the course. Absolutely. What a great course. And I would love to know more about it once you launch it. And please let us know so that we can update it even just as a link for people who are listening to this podcast. I'm sure they would be interested as well. We're very pro-masturbation, obviously, on this podcast. Being a sex educator, I always talk so much about the benefits of masturbation. And of course, erotic material of all forms is a tool, right? And of course, we talk about it as a tool in terms of what can it help you explore I would love to actually just hear more about your own personal story first before we go into talking about some of these issues. So did I get it right that you started off as a performer and then you moved into directing and producing films? But could you tell me more about your personal journey and how you got to where you are? I started as a performer. It was in Berlin. And here there was a very big DIY, like do it yourself, absolutely like no budget film, queer feminist community. Oh, okay. <laughs> so basically this was a bunch of folks that really believed in porn as a means of representation and okay. of like reclaiming our own sexualities and reclaiming our sexual narratives and sexual scripts. So I was very lucky, I would say, you know, also very privileged to have this network of people. I used to joke about it saying like, we used to think and talk so much more about porn and how to do porn than actually the, the films we did. You know, we didn't shoot that many films, but we talk oh. a lot about it. Yeah, but it was a very nice, it was definitely like a really, really perfect environment for me to start because I had a lot of prejudice against porn, actually. I grew up thinking that porn was a tool of the patriarchy to exploit women. So I believed in all of these negative porn myths that they're around. So for me, meeting these folks and understanding like, oh, wait, I can be a feminist and do porn. Like there's nothing inherently like wrong with porn per se was like a game changer for me. Like it really changed my life and the way I thought about so many porn, obviously, but also like sex and everything. How did that shift happen for you, actually? It was a long process, to be honest. I think like we grow up, or I mean, obviously I can only speak for myself, but I think that other people might <laughs> relate out there. I grew up having so many preconceived ideas around what kind of sex is right and what is wrong, you know, and like you know, porn being wrong and sex work being wrong, but also like in terms of like the gender dynamics of like, I mean, my head was like a woman shouldn't be submissive in sex because that it mirrors like society and like sexism and so on. And I think for me, getting into porn, meeting, you know, a lot of people, super, very intelligent and like knowledgeable people, like they helped me like little by little start dismantling all of these ideas that I had about sex that were not helping me or in the country, they were really constraining me. And like, you know, I always felt like, oh no, I can't do this, you know, and I was putting myself barriers. And then coming into this environment that is like super sex positive in terms of like, hey, be informed, then take your own decisions, whatever those are. 
but just do it in a way that is, again, intentional and conscious and, of course, based on consent, right? And for me, that meant being able to widen my horizons and explore, like, so many things such as, yeah, performing in front of a camera, but also, like, venturing into BDSM and just... The, the basic thing was getting rid of the shame, I think, and that's the bottom line that summarizes, like getting rid of the shame and the guilt and just being open to like discover and explore myself and other people in a way that is more, way more free than like we having these, all these ideas of like what is okay and what's not. So would you still consider yourself a feminist today? And is the porn that you make feminist porn? Is that how you describe it? That's a, such a good question and a complex one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but long story short, yes, I still consider myself a feminist because I believe in the way of analyzing the world and basically like analyzing society and understanding like what power dynamics are at work and how that plays a role in our identities and so on and so forth. However, I used to call myself a feminist pornographer. I've stopped doing that okay. just because I think that leads to a lot of misunderstandings mm -hmm. because I feel like there are so many prejudices against porn that when I say I'm a feminist pornographer, mm. it feels like I'm reproducing the idea of like porn is wrong and what I'm doing is different and better. And that's just not my narrative. Like I know the industry. Of course, it's not like everything is great and it's the deepest industry in the world. Why would it be? There's sexism and stuff like in any other industry, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not as bad as they painted. And I did not want to like be part of this narrative of being like, porn is bad, I'm better, because that's not what I believe. So at the same time, there's also so many voices, like feminists, or for me, like so-called feminist self-decided like self feminist voices against porn. They're so harmful and they're, I think, are creating so much harm and pain, specifically towards women mm -hmm. that I identify as feminist, but I'm having a harder time like reconciling these different branches of feminism, mm. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And it's a very nuanced answer as well. Thank you. Thank you for contributing that because I guess that's the same thing for when we say the term ethical porn. People just automatically assume, oh, okay, if this is ethical porn, so that means all the other stuff that's out there, all the other porn that's unethical. And so you're kind of, it's the same thing that you're saying as well. So if I call myself a feminist pornographer, then what I'm actually in a way implying that everything else out there is unfeminist. And that might be actually just perpetuating the stereotype that people have around porn. So that's a really interesting perspective. I love that you, yeah, that you say that way, because that's exactly, it's, it's, it's the challenges that we face, right? Like for me, like from the industry, like, of course, I want to elevate the industry. I want to set better production standards, better communication, better networks, better resources, specifically for performers or content creators, people working in front of the camera, but also like for the whole industry. I'm having to navigate this weird place where it's like, I want to be critical of the industry because I think there's stuff that can be better. But again, I don't want to contribute, as you're saying, I want to perpetuate like this prejudice against the industry that is just not accurate. It's really based on prejudice and moral judgments mm. that are not helping anyone. Mm. So it's like balancing yeah. these things, as you say, it's a difficult it's complex. one sometimes. Yeah. It's complex, yeah. So <laughs> how did you move from performing to behind the camera? What contributed to that shift? 
to be honest, it was mostly, as I was saying, I was in this community of like DIY, do it yourself. So it, it felt like everyone was helping everyone. So like, you know, one day I will be performing, the next day someone would be like, hey, could you take over the catering or can you help me with casting? Can you help me with producing? And I'm kind of like an organizer. I like to like get things done and take care of things and make them happen. And it was a very organic move for me. Like I started taking on more and more responsibilities during sets. And at some point I was like, okay, I'm, you know what? I'm the producer now because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you folks are too busy discussing the colors and someone needs to get this done, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's how it happened. I started like more and more producing. You know, I founded a production company, not, not only for porn, but for other films as well. And then it's been recently, like in the last three years, that then, you know, I had been supporting, I feel like so many filmmakers, I create their vision, which I love. And then I was like, oh, but maybe I want to do also films that where I direct, like where it's my vision, right? And that's been like yeah, the last things that I've been doing in the last three years, mostly with hard work, my, my new studio. Oh, fantastic. And can you tell us a little bit more about Lustery? Because how long has that been around and what inspired you to start that? So last year, we launched in December 2016, so a few years now. The idea came because as a performer, I mean, here's what happens. I mean, if you're a performer, you're going to end up being booked for the different genres of porn, depending on how you look, obviously. You know what I mean? Like if you have a lot of tattoos, alt, like you'll end up doing alt porn. If you have no tattoos, you will end up doing girl next door porn. See what I mean? Like it's a bit of like what you bring to the table in terms of your appearance. And I was doing a lot of these like girl next door, I say quote-unquote girl next door kind of amateur porn, and I say quote-unquote because I find the term girl next door a bit problematic because it's like, <laughs> wait, whose door, you know? <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's the way, you know, it was, I was doing a lot of that, and so it was called amateur porn, right, which implies like, oh, it's a hobby, we're not doing it professionally, it's mm -hmm. like, it's real sexuality being in display. And what I was experiencing, it was a lot of companies having very clear guidelines on what was okay and was not and being like, okay, do this, do this position, wear these clothes and like really presenting an idea of like, quote unquote, authentic sexuality that was not authentic to me. I'm not saying this is wrong. Like I'm fine performing a role, you know, yeah. I don't mind. And it was like all fair and well paid. Yeah. And like, I'm very thankful for those companies. But in terms of like how they were presenting their product, like this is the real sex of this like young woman. I was like, that's not how I would actually have sex. So for me, I was thinking like, okay, this amateur porn is becoming more and more successful and like trendy and everyone wants to see amateur right. porn, right? Mm -hmm. But I was like, but how do you actually show the real sex lives of people. Because when you're like staging it and telling mm. people what to wear and what to do, that's not really real. You know, like, yeah. it, I mean, real, it's happening, so it's real. But, but you it's know a what performance. I mean? like it's not, exactly. It was way more performative yeah. than what it was meant to be. Mm. So I was like, okay, how do we do this? You know, because as soon as you put a camera in a room, obviously there's going to be a certain level of performance. And even like, there's a certain level of performativity in sex in general, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. we all, yeah. so I was like, you know, how to go about this? If we really want to have like, if we really want to document people's sex lives, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of like how the idea of last three came around. We were like, okay, if you have two people or three that have a relationship with each other in their private lives, that have an ongoing sexual dialogue, like they're having sex with each other, right? And then you tell them like, listen, here's a camera. Be in your room, like in the comfort of your own home. Nobody should be there. Like you two, or if it's a triple three, 
try to take the camera and make it part of your game. So not like an external thing that is like looking onto you, but have fun with it. And there's no rules, like nothing that you are supposed to do or nothing that you're not allowed to do. Just really do whatever you want. That's how the idea of last year started. We were like, let's try to do this and see how it goes. And that's been remained the concept. It's like real couples, again, however they describe themselves, like you don't have to be married and have a mortgage. You know, you can be also like BDSM regular play partners or like whatever it is. Yeah, and they just shoot their lives. So I think last year has become like an archive of people's sexual lives, which I think is really beautiful. That's lovely. And that's so interesting, that distinction between amateur porn and what you're doing in lustry because actually initially when i had heard about lustry i got a little confused because i thought well surely that's amateur porn but thanks for clearing that up uh, for me because that's i think an important distinction i think as a result of all of the stuff that you've been doing you know just from the film festival to setting up your production company you know being on both sides of the camera performing producing directing you know, and then starting this real life sex sharing platform. What would you say you've learned about human sexuality from doing all of this work that you've done? I would say that what I've learned is that human sexuality is so complex and so diverse and so personal. Mm -hmm. As in, what I mean by that is that, I mean, we were talking before about like, you know, this, there's no like right or wrong kind of sex, right? It all comes down to like consent and the way you communicate. But what I've really learned is like just how playful sexuality can be. I think what, like we, when I'm creating for the festival, we see so many films, right? And every time we get a new short film or, or a film that showcases a fetish or like a kind of sexual activity that I've never heard about, I'm like, ooh, how interesting, you know, there's this as well. Yes. And there's like, it's never ending, you know, there's so much creativity mm. in sexual play. Yeah. And I think what I've learned out of like observing like how rich and, and diverse and again, playful and wild sexuality can be, I think what I've come to learn is that there are no sexual acts that are per se, so to speak, like sexist or degrading or like, you know, there's so many ideas about stuff that people have like that make moral judgments about it. I'm just going to say an example, like facials, right? You say like a lot of women are like, oh, if a man comes, comes on, on face, your face, yeah. like that's degrading and that's, you know, it's, it's not feminist or whatever. And I'm like, things in sex, they're not sexist or feminist as like out of a context, you know? Yeah. It always is a matter of context. It's a matter of like, as long as you have informed, consenting adults, everything they do is, it's whatever they like and that's fine and there's no need for judging that you know yes, what I mean yes. and I think that liberates us so much when we stop like yeah like judging it because this whole judging just makes us feel shameful when we feel like oh maybe this is this thing that I'm desiring is maybe not wrong like not right or whatever it's such a burden that we carry around and it's just so beautiful to liberate ourselves from that First, repeating, there's no right or wrong when it comes to sex, other than like just obviously having informed, consenting adults involved. But the rest, like, hey, your imagination is the limit. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk more about the episode topic. When I asked what associations came to mind with this term ethical porn, I put it up on a poll to my Instagram audience on Hello Sarah Sense. So I got a whole bunch of different responses. People said consent, fair play, fair pay as well. It's bullshit. It doesn't exist. Porn that doesn't degrade women. 
safe sex or safer sex. So it's clear that people have a wide range of perceptions around this term. So I would love to hear from you. What does the term ethical porn mean to you? So for me, I would say that ethical, it's just personally something that I want to add there to in terms of like, I want to have certain ethics that guides everything that I do and specifically in work. And in porn, for me, ethical porn would mean that the way this porn is produced, it's trying to hold the highest standards. I mean, everything that you, or some of the things that you listed of consent, transparency, communication, creating a safe working environment. And for me, that means you can break down porn, I think, in whatever kind of genre it is, in like before the shooting, during the shooting, and after the shooting, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what for me would make a porn production ethical is that before the shooting, there was a lot of communication and everyone involved, of course, like the people in front of the camera, but not just them, just everyone in the crew was informed about like, why are we doing it? When are we doing it? Who is involved? What is expected from us? What's the pay? What's the length of the day? Like, yes, all of the information that they need to take an informed decision of like, yes, I want to be part of this. Then I think in the day of the shooting, it's all about honoring those agreements. <laughs> so like everything that was discussed still happens, but also creating a safe working environment for everyone and like establish ongoing communication. So specifically for the performers, you know, having a talk where they can establish their boundaries, their needs, their wishes, and just make sure that at all times people feel empowered and entitled to ask for whatever they need. You know, that might be a break, that might be water, that might be lubricant, I don't know, like whatever it is, or that might be mean renegotiating the sexual acts, whatever that is, just that it's clear this is a space where everyone can speak up and we can negotiate. We're all committed to having a good, respectful time with each other. And then after the shooting, again, adhering to the and honoring the agreements that were found in terms of distribution. So just making sure that, again, that in advance, everyone was informed, like, where is this going? And then adhering to those agreements and just still being available. If there's any conflict happening, just being available for, like, trying to address and resolve that conflict, for example. That would be my definition. I'm not saying that every single shoot that I do, like, everything goes perfect. And for the people that know how film works, like, film is a stressful matter. There's things that go wrong and then you're stressed and yeah. people are put into pressure because it's like, okay, we only have five minutes now. So I'm not saying that I'm perfect, you know? yeah, yeah. but I'm saying these are the standards that like over and over again, trying to uphold and making my best to like have that as a standard. Right. Does I that mean, make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> and it sounds all really great and really important. And I just wanted to see what you thought about just the general porn industry itself. Do you feel like those standards already exist in some form? They're just kind of inconsistently applied? Like, what is your perception? Thank you so much for asking. Because as we were saying before, saying like ethical porn and me being like, I'm an ethical porn or I aspire to be an ethical porn producer sounds like, oh, I think the rest of the industry is not ethical. And that's totally not how I see it. I think like in terms of like, like creating safe working environments, communication, checking people's IDs, creating contracts and so on and so forth. I think the industry like both in the US and Europe hold very high standards. And I think it's a very professional industry for the most part. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I have the comparison with like film production, like non-pornographic mainstream film production. And that is not always the case. I see so much like toxic power dynamics and like abuse of power in like mainstream film production that I'm like, actually in porn, 
like the consent negotiations and so on are like so crucial to the work that we do. Like, I feel like people are way more equipped to have those discussions and like they're more aware of like power dynamics and so on than in other industries. So I would say for the most part, the adult industry, there's a lot that we can learn from it. And yes, I do think that most productions are ethical in the ways that they run the production. Now, that being said, of course, I think there's flaws in the industry as well. I think there are certain bad players, actually, and that sometimes it's producers, sometimes it's agents, often it's agents, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's directors. And I think these bad players, I'm sometimes appalled or like really disgusted at how these players, like everyone knows they're bad players and somehow they're allowed to keep on working. And I'm like, how is this possible? Like, why are we not taking this person down? Like, why are we still sending newcomer performers to this person? Like, this is ridiculous right. to me. And I think the reason that that's happening is because of the stigma. So let me elaborate. Like, because everyone thinks, oh, the porn industry is so bad. When someone is actually bad, people are like, well, here you go. You know, it's a porn industry. And I'm like, no, this is like a really horrible, unethical person that should not be working and should be completely ostracized from the industry. And we should, you know, everyone should be like, we're not working with this guy anymore. Yeah, because of the stigma, because people are like, well, this is how things are. You know, there's these assholes or like some people are speaking up and then it's like, hmm, I don't know. And I think I personally believe that will change if we fight stigma and if we stop saying like, oh, the porn industry is horrible. And so and we're like, no, this is the standards that the porn industry should hold. And whoever is not holding those standards needs to be whatever, audit, you know what I mean? Like yeah. looked upon and, and yeah. checked and be like, well, if you don't change your ways, you should stop. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's hard in a way provide a, a check and policing around an industry which already people don't feel has many standards, I guess. And so I guess the more vocal people are and the industry is about the standards that are in place to protect the performers and just the production as a whole, then perhaps that will just raise the level overall. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another thing that was, I thought, quite interesting that you mentioned earlier about the facials. <laughs> and also, if you remember, somebody from my Instagram audience said, oh, Ethical porn is porn that doesn't degrade women. So as a point of interest, do you ever come across people who perceive ethical porn as it's just not as hardcore or it's not as edgy as mainstream porn? Like they think the scenes are more sanitized. Nobody gets called a whore. Nobody gets a facial, that kind of thing. Like nobody gets degraded. Do you ever come across that kind of misperception? Absolutely. I think it's a very, very common, <laughs> very common misconception. Yeah. You know what I think? I think right. it has to do with the ideas that people have about like women's sexuality versus like male sexuality. Because mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a lot of talk about like they're harder, they want more hardcore, they're more visual. Mm. And like women are more, what do the people say? I don't know. Like they're more, we're more into the yeah, stories. Passionate. More about like yeah. the passionate, yeah, yeah, yeah. intimacy, intimacy, soft lighting, yes, right? Yes. Pastel colors. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, all women we love want it, that. don't we? <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone of us. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's, we're joking, just yeah. because somebody didn't get the irony. Yeah. <laughs> that's an idea that is completely outdated. And it's, a, I would say, it's even a sexist approach to women's sexuality, right? Thinking that women are softer and so on and so forth. I do think that a lot of porn that calls, labels itself like porn for women does portray those kind of scenarios, which is fine. You know, I'm saying like whoever is into it, great, go for it. 
go for those pastel colors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, of course, thinking that women are a homogeneous group of folks with like similar sexual preferences, it's ridiculous. So whatever women or men or whatever gender folks are into those things, great. But what I do, for example, is like, I really like hardcore. I mean, the porn that I do with hard work, for example, I mean, it's gangbangs, right? Like it's, oh. it's pretty mm -hmm. intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I encounter people that are telling me like, how is that? People are completely confused, you know? Yeah. They're like, look at my films and yeah, and there are facials and there is <laughs> a lot of cam and there is a lot of deep throating and yeah. like quite hardcore fucking. Yeah. And people are like, how is that feminism? And I'm like, well, because my films are based on the preferences of the performers. Mm -hmm. So basically every film I do, I ask the people, what do you like? What are your boundaries, of course, to start with? What would you like to do? And then we find a concept and a constellation Like we keep on back and forth, like discussing the concept and the other performers and so on until the person is like, yes, this is totally what I want to do. Like I feel, mm. you know, I'm going to wake up on the day of shooting and be like, let's do this. I want it. Mm -hmm. And that's what for me is at the core of what I'm doing, like really trying to create a situation that portrays these people's fantasies, desires and so on. And I am working with people that are, that have, like, within the spectrum, they're kind of hardcore, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's like, and a lot of women love it. And I'm like, <laughs> we should have everything, you know, pa from pastel to super extreme hardcore. Mm -hmm. We deserve everything. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Are there any other misconceptions that you come across personally around ethical porn that you'd like to clarify for us here? We've talked so much. I think we made a good job of differentiating <laughs> between this like yeah. ethical porn doesn't mean all the other yeah, porn yeah, is yeah. wrong yeah. and it doesn't have to be soft and pastel. Yeah. It can be hardcore <laughs> yes. and PDSM or whatever. Yeah. I guess maybe there is one thing. It's a bit complex, but I'm going to give it a try. Okay. Challenging, you know, sure. <laughs> all the audience out there. Let's see if I can make it understandable. I think a lot of people expect from like porn that is like labeled as ethical porn to be like super inclusive from like all body types, all ages. And I would say that there is definitely a lot of porn that is, you know, more in the alternative independent side of the industry that does have a way more diverse representation of bodies, ages, and so on. But still it's porn. <laughs> and like, I think there's two things that people don't understand. And that's one, the people that feel comfortable to perform in porn like statistically are going to be people that have like that, how can I put it, that have a profile that, you know, aligns with like a more normative ideal of beauty, mm -hmm. maybe. And that implies like younger, thinner, you know, that kinds of things. And that's just something that as an ethical porn producer, for example, or like whatever, as a porn producer, you know, you can't change, like you can't force people, you know, and that can be like, okay, when, you know, I really want this like 80 year old You know, I'm just going to say whatever, but like fat woman and you cannot invent that person. If that person comes to you, great, then you'll shoot a film, but you can't invent it. It's tough, but it's the reality. If you want to create a company, you know, you're saying you're doing something ethical, you want to pay people fair. In order to be able to pay people fair, you need money. Without money, you cannot pay people. You know, that's yes. a very simple yeah. truth. And the thing is like, because of the difficulties that we were speaking about that we have for distributing, there is certain point that sells better. And that breaks my heart, but just as the way it is, a lot of people are not paying for their porn. So most of the people that I find that are complaining about like, oh, I don't see this in porn, I don't see this in porn. I'm like, well, do you pay for it? Mm. Yeah. I'm like, because if you don't pay for it, like who is going to produce it? Yeah. You know, you're expecting something to be produced, but you're not ready to get your wallet out and pay for it. So there's no way that someone can do that in a way that is sustainable. 
Was that clear? Yes. Like, I think it's something that people don't think about when they're like having these really high expectations of how ethical porn or like how porn should be. And I'm like, well, but what is your part in this? Like, how are you contributing to this? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that I often think that there is a difference because as a value, I am very sexually inclusive and I embrace all different forms of sexuality and also like body diversity. I think everybody can be sexy. I must say... Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I'm 100% yeah. with you. Too. And those are my values and my core values. However, I would also say that in terms of my consumption habits, it's just a personal thing. There is an element of fantasy for me that I like to see, in a way, I guess, normatively beautiful people fucking. That's a fantasy of mine. And I know everybody judges beauty differently, but I guess maybe mine falls along more normative lines. But yeah. And I think that's so important to say. I love that you're saying this because if you're watching an action film, I am expecting like James Bond or whoever it is to be strong and to look strong and to have mm. muscles. You yeah. Know? As you're saying, that's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone should look like James Bond or mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying. Mm. But if I'm seeing this action film to see people fighting and so on, mm -hmm. I'm expecting them to look tough, like buff. Yes. You know? And that's okay. That's the thing with films. They're fantasies. And I think we need to, you know, accept that and deal with it. And that doesn't mean that we cannot have a reflection and be like, okay, how can we make this anyway more diverse? And how can we maybe make other films more diverse and have other sex scenes, you know, in other films that are not pornographic per se? How can we see their different sexualities and bodies and so on? I think it's an ongoing conversation that we must have, but we have to also understand exactly what you're saying. Like porn is fantasy and that's okay as well, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting that you talk about all of the stuff that you do in terms of collaborating with your performers, you know, ensuring that they have contracts in place to protect them. And all of that goes into the standards of what makes up ethical porn. However, I feel like from a consumer's point of view, often we aren't really privy to that aspect of porn. Like, I don't know, for example, whether all of the performers sign their contracts and so on. So I'm not really able to make a very informed decision because I just don't have that access to the production process of whatever porn that I'm watching. So how do you reconcile that? Because let's say I want to be a more informed kind of consumer of porn, right? But how do I then be able to find out <laughs> all of this information about what I'm consuming ethical? And that's a question that so many people have. So super happy you're asking. This is what I tell always. There is one very easy, simple rule. Because, you know, thinking about like how to become an ethical consumer, it seems like, oh, I have to do this research and there's so much work to it. You know, it feels like, oh, I just want to watch some porn. And I'm like, if you just want to watch some porn, but just want to feel good about it, there's a super simple rule to be an ethical porn consumer. And that is pay for your porn. As simple as that. As long as mm -hmm. you're paying... Mm -hmm. 
when I say ping, I mean in like in a dedicated platform. So like okay. there is certain platforms where there's like pirated porn where you can mm-hmm. pay for pirated porn. Mm-hmm. That those I would exclude. That's not ethical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pirated. Right. But if you're on a platform that whatever it is, if it's like, you know, a lot of content creators nowadays, they're just performers that on their own direction, own production, they just produce their content and sell it directly to the consumer. There's a bunch of different platforms nowadays. So you can either buy the stuff directly from the performers or go to a VOD platform, membership-based platform, where you know that the product was created for this platform Mm -hmm. and you pay for it. I see. If you do that, you're already contributing to make this industry more fair. You're already contributing to like promoting fair standards and fair production standards. It's as easy as that. Now, if you want to dig deeper, which, you know, I encourage everyone to do, if you're in any kind of platform, you can always search for the about us section. Transparency, it's a green flag, right? You can search for like red flags, green flags. If you search for the about us section, if there is like behind the scenes material, if you understand like who are the people behind this production, right. all of that are green flags that this platform where you are is at least aiming to have like fair standards mm. and buying directly from the performers. Mm-hmm. That's a safe bet. Right? Because mm-hmm. like they're producing on their own terms. They're doing what they want. If you're buying from them, you're supporting them directly. That's like as ethical as it gets. One thing that people should be careful about is like nowadays there's a lot of like impersonators. So people that like steal content from performers and then create an account. I think in order to make sure that you're not buying like from the wrong person, you can just follow the performers' links. Like all performers are on social. Most of them are shadow bands. So if you're searching them, it's best to like Google their name and then Twitter or Instagram, right? And then just follow like their link trees. They have there the platforms where they sell their content and you can make sure that you're directly buying from the source. And that's the most important thing. And if you're buying like again, studio porn, you can also dig deeper and check like, again, is there behind the scenes material? How are they? Do I see the, like the consent practice behind this production? Or, you know, you can check with the performers and be like, are the performers reposting these things? How are they talking about their experience with this production company? Like there's so much information out there that it's really, it's not so hard to get. But again, the golden rule of being an ethical porn consumer, just pay for your porn. Okay, that's great to know. And that's very easy for, I think, a lot of people to follow. So maybe on a more personal note, I'm at the age where I didn't actually grow up with internet porn. But as I mentioned a little earlier, when you know I introduced this whole episode, my personal issue with porn as a sex educator is that it's essentially become sex education for young people, millennials and beyond. Sex education is now porn. And I see the impact that it's having on my clients in my private coaching practice. You know, real life sex, I feel, has often become a performance and people compare themselves to porn and it creates these unrealistic expectations. And then there's other things that worry me, you know, like I've had partners who grew up with porn and internet porn. And I feel like that's also had an impact on the way they have sex. Like, for example, there's like an expectation that certain practices like choking, slapping, facials, they're all standard practices. And then there's this idea as well that all women, they all orgasm magically without any clitoral contact, because that's often what you see on mainstream porn. So there's a lot there. (laughs) But this is just my views. This is just 
uh, right now. I mean, how do you view some of these issues and what can we do to manage them as consumers of porn? Yeah, a lot to unpack. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> Maybe this, I how would... about this, we start with porn as sex education. What do you think of that mm-hmm. right now? It's primarily an entertainment product and should not be seen primarily as sex education. And I think if people, I mean, not if, like I know people are going to porn for sex education. And I think that just clearly shows the lack of sex educational resources that people have. And I think there lies the problem. You know, if people would have more resources for informing themselves and learning about sexuality and sex, they wouldn't be looking at porn as the source of their education. I think that's a really big mistake and that the problem is, again, the lack of resources very, very clearly. And the, the fact that there are, I mean, there are many amazing resources, but it's so hard to act, to access them. I don't know about you, but I know so many other sex educators, there's shadow ban on Instagram oh, yeah. or on other platforms. Yeah. Right? My, my um, stuff gets pulled down all the time. So I get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a problem. You know, the fact that sexuality, sex education, it's still a taboo and it's being literally censored online. Plus, there's still not enough of it. I think that is the main problem. And linked with the misconception that I think there's a lack of awareness that porn is a performance. People go to the cinema, we see an action film and they know this is a film and it's a performance. Yes. Uh, And there's a lot of like preparation and tricks and film tricks to go with it. And I think as adults, we're very much able to have the sticks. Not even as, I mean, I think a three-year-old already can like starts differentiating between like what's fiction and what's real. Like it's a very basic human like capacity that we have. And I, I wonder how it can be that for apparently for some people, they're confusing those things and seeing a porn and being like, oh, this is the standard or this is how everyone looks like or this is how everyone has sex. I'm like, why would you think that? You don't think that, of the action film. You don't look at an action film, you're like, oh, this is how everyone rides yeah. a car. Yeah, like there's 200. Ex- <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always explosions and yeah. Yeah, all the time. Speeding. You know, anytime someone. Crazy. Exactly. I think that there's a big problem. And I think, again, it comes down to stigma, to taboo, to people not talking openly and, you know, and shame free about this topic. Mm. Just to summarize what you're saying, just in terms of what people can do to counteract that is they really have to be a bit more proactive about looking at a range of different resources and not just using porn as their only point of reference about sex. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I really think so. All the work that you're doing, like, I mean, so many other people, like there are other resources nowadays. You have to maybe just, you know, as you say, like be proactive and put a little bit of effort in searching those out and like, and just checking with yourself, I think, and reflecting on bringing intentionality in everything we do, especially everything sexual. It's going to help us become better persons, you know, but like become like healthier with ourselves and with our partners. If I'm watching a lot of porn, like a concrete genre, and I'm feeling like, okay, I'm really, I feel like somewhat stuck or I feel like this is the only thing I watch. Like, why don't you try and look at something else, you know, like spicy up your porn habits, like look, uh, search for different genres, you know, let yourself be surprised. But I think that's difficult when people feel ashamed. You know, if I'm like, I'm feeling bad about the porn that I watch, then I'm just like, you know, kind of like doing it quickly when I'm alone and then like forgetting about it. And I kind of not really taking the time to be present, to like think about like, okay, what am I watching? How am I watching it? 
How does it feel? You know, so just like being more aware of the way we're watching porn and what it, the impact it has. Because again, like everything that you were saying, like this is real and this is influencing, impacting people's life. But I think the moment where we start being more aware of that, of what it is, that is how it's impacting, then we, we become agency, we have agency over it. Then we can take decisions. If I'm like, okay, I feel like, you know, I'm watching a lot of porn and I feel like when I'm with a partner, I'm really just thinking about like how this looks and being really like in a performative mindset rather than like being present in my body and with my partner. So then maybe taking an inf like a conscious decision to be like, okay, I'm maybe I'm not going to watch porn for a week and I'm going to have an exercise, a breathing exercise with my partner before we start having sex just to like feel more present and try to get rid of like the pressure of like how this looks and just focus on how this feels. Just, just talking about it and people just like giving themselves the space to think about it would help. I think that's a really great tip, this using being present almost to counteract this idea of sex as a performance is really important. I think the other thing that is also really important is talking to your partner <laughs> about sex. Because going back to what we said earlier about don't just use porn as the only point of reference. Your partner is also there right in front of you in real life and asking them what they want and what they like should also be a point of reference for you. I mean, maybe they do want to be choked and slapped and have a facial and that's cool, but maybe you should ask them first and maybe they don't want it. Maybe they don't want that. So always best not to assume these things and to just ask what works for the person in front of you. However, I also realized that so few people actually do that. And maybe therein also lies the issue. 100% agree with you. I wonder if the reason why some little people do it is because I would say it's also a misconception that like talking about sex, that like, kind of like kills the mood, quote unquote, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's not sexy, right? It's like, feels like very sterile to be like, okay, what do you like? And I feel like we're lacking references or like situations, like role models where we see like how playful and sexy it can be to ask your partner, yes. you know, like, so what would you like me to do? Or like, how would you feel if I do this or that? That's something that I think you do see sometimes, for example, important. That can be a positive influence to be like, oh, there's, you know, you can be sexy. And especially like in BDSM and kinky porn, you have a lot of scenes where the Say, for example, the dominant part is asking the submissive like what they want in a way that is still in this game and in this role play, but they're checking with them, yes. you know, and you see that and you hear that. And that's, I think, super inspiring, for example. Yes, yes. So I sometimes talk to people who watch porn regularly and they are definitely worried that they will become dependent or addicted to porn. I also sometimes work with people who are concerned that their porn habit will have an impact on their desire for their partner or their relationship. So what do you think about this concept and this concern? I think the media has made the term porn addiction very popular. And therefore, as you're saying, like a lot of people have this concern. There's actually a word for this, which is called disease mongering, I think. Okay. And that is when something gets like spoken so often about that people start believing that they have a problem or that they're sick, where actually they're not pathologically sick in that way, but they believe they are because there's so much talk about it. And I think this is something that is happening with this idea of porn addiction, 
Whereas there can be unhealthy patterns of like how you watch porn and so on. Like actually addiction is not officially like just by the world medical organizations, like the World Health Organization or the all of the other organizations that analyze like mental health. They don't talk about addiction when it comes to sex and porn watching habits. And, uh, you know, maybe they, they talk about, I mean, you know better than me, obviously, but the behavioral disorders or like maybe behavioral, possibly even like there's, I think there's a discussion between like, could be maybe a behavioral addiction. But I think, why is it important to make this distinction? I think because that changes, like if you understand what the problem is, that's going to help you find a solution. But if you're thinking there's whole narrative about porn being like a drug that like influences your brain and so on. That is not true. Like that is completely scientific, inaccurate. And people believing that that's the impact it has is completely like it's bringing them into mindsets that are harming and they're really not helping. They're really harming the situation by feeling like, again, guilty and like sinful and whatever. So what I think is this, I think if you are actually struggling and you feel like a loss of control over the way you're watching porn, and that might mean like you have this irresistible urge to watch porn in like completely inappropriate situations, or like you're like spending way more money that you actually have in porn, or like, you know, anything where you feel like my life is getting out of balance and I really like can't control it. I'm like, yeah, then search up for a medical professional, right? A sex positive one that can help you. But these people are, I think it's a um, very small part. Like so many people watch porn and don't have a problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think we're really pretending that this is like a big problem. It's like, it's a problem, but it's not like as big as it's presented in media. And I think for people that are conscious about like these things that you're saying that are concerned, they're like, am I doing this right? Is this going to have a negative impact? I think I would come back to this whole like, hey, be aware of what you're doing, be intentional, practice like you know, awareness and presence exercises where you're just checking in with yourself. Nobody knows better than you. Like you can be honest to yourself and be like, well, do you think that the porn watching is, you know, having a negative impact in your life? Well, then do something to change it. If you're like, I'm watching too much, I want to watch less. Okay. So the same way that, you know, when you're like, I spend too much time on social media, like then have a screen limit time, right? You're like, okay, I'm not going to watch more than the same way that you're like, okay, I'm not going to be more than one hour on Instagram a day. You could be like, I'm not going to watch more than an hour a day or even like whatever, five hours a week, whatever it is. Make a conscious decision to set yourself boundaries and then go with them. And if you don't manage yourself, your own expectations, then don't punish yourself. Don't be like, oh, I'm a bad person or whatever. Just be like, oh, why didn't this work out? And like set maybe new realistic expectations that align just with like your life and your lifestyle. And I think that's for me the key. I think like bringing your porn practice or like your porn conception or your porn watching, just making it align with just like the rest of your life, you know, and not seeing it as something different that is like dangerous or whatever. No, it's just the same way that you should be checking like how much time do you spend on social? How much time do you spend watching Netflix or just like doing stuff that might be like stopping you from doing other things that would be better for your life, like maybe meeting a friend or doing sports. I don't know, you know, whatever it is that works for you, but just like integrate porn into your life and just have a conscious, make a conscious decision of being aware of the impact it has. Mm, I think that's such a great answer and great insight. Thank you for sharing that. So in the age of smartphones and sexting, I think lots of people listening to this podcast will have had probably some experience with taking their own sexy selfies or shooting their own personal sex videos. 
So what's so exciting about this kind of behavior, about shooting your own sort of sexy video? And how do you do it in a way that's kind of safe but fun? I would say it's so interesting for so many people because it's playful and it's a bit of a celebration, right? The moment that you're like, you know, the same that way that you're in like in a wonderful vacation and having a really good time and you're like, oh, let's take a picture to remember this great moment while we're standing in front of this whatever beautiful landscape. The same way when you're like enjoying your sexuality, you're like, oh, let's take a selfie of me being sexy and sexual and turned on to celebrate this part of me that is part of my life and that brings me joy, right? So I think it's a very yeah. healthy thing to have this wish not to be like, oh, I'm going to take a sexy picture. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, as you were saying, like the fact that that's something playful between like you and your partner specifically, like can be like kind of like a foreplay or it can be so many things, you know, this whole sex thing. And I think what's important in terms of, because you're asking like how to make it safe, I think what's just important is the moment that you're sharing those images with someone, just to make sure that you have had a conversation before in terms of like, what are those images meant to be? I mean, for me, I think it should be common sense that if you're sharing those images in a private conversation, that those are not meant to like get out of that private conversation. Yeah, yeah. But I think unless if you, for example, maybe if you don't know the person very well, if it's someone you just met on a dating app or something. I would just make sure that you have a short conversation around like an agreement. Just make an agreement online being like, hey, I'm going to send you a sexy picture. It's just for yourself. Whatever that's have to be. You don't have to sign a contract, I feel. <laughs> but I feel like just, right. like just like just verbally saying like, okay, this is meant for this. This should be part of the agreement. And then what I would say is like in the moment where you put something online, you need to be aware that you're losing control over it. Because, I mean, as a producer myself, like piracy is such a big problem and just people taking pictures and videos from places and putting them in other places, just is how the internet works right now, right? So I would advise everyone like, hey, before you make any kind of sexy picture or sexy video public in any platform, like really think about if you're willing to take the risk that that is going to end up somewhere that you might not want it there, you know, like. For example, the people that work for Lustre that, that apply for creating porn for the platform, I always ask them, like, what's the worst case scenario that you can imagine? The last person that you want to see this video, whatever it is, like your mom, your boss, you know, what would happen right. if this person sees this video? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then if they tell me like, oh, my God, that would be the worst. Like people are like, oh, my God, I would kill myself. Right. I'm like, OK, then don't do it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very simple. Like if you're not ready to deal with the consequences that might happen after you've put like sexy stuff online, then just don't do it. Do it for your own. Keep it on your phone. Share it with, you know, whatever partners you trust. But don't make it public if you're not ready to deal with the consequences. Does that make sense? That definitely makes sense. So my partner and I spent quite a lot of time this year in different countries because in, I don't know if you know, in Hong Kong earlier this year, we were still under lockdown because we had Omicron. So we've been quite late to lift a lot of those restrictions. So anyway, we've, we've been in different places. One of the things that I wanted to do as kind of like a long distance partnership was record sexy videos of myself to send to him. However, I want to say that I actually found the whole process of recording a sexy video really challenging, like just getting the right lighting, the right positions, the right angles. It's really ironic because what I was trying to do 
was film myself having an orgasm with like a sex toy. And I thought that would be super sexy. But then the actual shooting of the video where I had to get myself into like all these like awkward positions and angles, there was absolutely no way that I was having an orgasm at all. So I wanted to ask you this on behalf of myself, but also any other sort of long distance lovers out there. Could you give me some of your director's tips on how to set up a successful home sex video shoot that's kind of sexy to watch, but also fun to shoot and a pleasure to shoot as well? And you know what? I'd love to leave this question for Patreon because I think this would make a really great bonus. So listeners... If you want to continue the conversation with us, do check out Better in Bed on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash better in bed to find out Polita's tips for setting up a sexy home video shoot. You'll also be able to access a whole bunch of other exclusive bonuses from previous podcast episodes. And your support always helps me to keep normalizing these important conversations around sex. So do check it out. All right. So we've come to the final section of this episode. It's our quickie but goodie section. It's just a very quick section that I play with all of my guests. I ask you a few questions and off the top of your head, you get just two seconds to spontaneously answer them and they're all about you. So first question is describe what your most intense orgasm felt like in a few words. Ooh. Okay. A few words. It's so hard to describe orgasms, but I'll try. I would say deep, like long lasting. And what's the word that I'm searching? What's the word when the sound like reverberating? Yes, that's a great word. I love that. I love that. I can already feel the, it's like vibrations almost like energetic. (laughs) I love it. Love it. So one thing that you're grateful for in your sex life. The freedom that I have. I feel very, very grateful because I feel like I've had the opportunity to experiment so much with so many different partners. And I know that so many other people don't have that opportunity. And I feel so grateful for the, all this space that I've had to explore and get to know myself. And I know you used to be a porn performer. I don't know if you still perform now. But what's one porn name that you come across that you always thought, oh my goodness, that's so memorable. That's really stood out for you. Oh, you mean like a performance name? Yeah, like a performance name. name. Ah, oh, great question. Well, let me think. I'm just going to say this because it's really the first thing that came to mind. Amber Nevada. I'm not even sure if she's still performing, to be honest, but it was a friend of mine. It's a Spanish performer. And I think it's most funnier in Spanish because Amber is, well, Amber, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Amber. Nevada means snowed. Like if a mountain has snow on it, it would be like Tierra Nevada, right? So it was Amber Nevada, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So it's like Amber the color, you mean? Like Amber snow? Yeah, like Amber snowed. Ah, right. Okay, cool. So there is like a sexual... Yes, 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 yes. Cool, cool, cool. What's your biggest turn on? Ooh, so many. Wait, (laughs) I'd say self-confidence and clear communication. It sounds like that's not true. I'm just saying it because it sounds good, but it really yeah, is. But sometimes they're hard to come by. <laughs> What's your biggest turn off? People that don't listen. Like people that are just so into themselves and just focus with themselves that they're not just not listening. Yeah, good one. 
And one thing that has helped you get better in bed? Ooh, being present. I was a person that was very performative in my sexuality, actually. And being more present and taking more time and just trying to be less goal-oriented of like, this is what I have to achieve. And slowing down the path and being more present and, and listening better to my sexual partners, I think has made me a better sexual partner in bed. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Polita, for joining me today on this episode. You were so insightful and I hope this does really help to present a different perspective, porn, and it helps to maybe keep people a bit more mindful and open-minded and conscious about what they're watching. So listeners, what did you take away from the show today? Is ethical porn something you would be interested to explore further? Let me know why. Find me at Hello Sarah Sense on Instagram or drop me a line at sarahsense.com. I would love to hear from you. And I do take on all of your comments and feedback. So I appreciate the time it takes for you guys to write to me. It helps me to make the show better. Also, if you missed anything today, there will be show notes on my website with a summary of everything we talked about and some relevant links. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so, so grateful if you subscribe to the podcast, shared this episode, or left us a review on Apple Podcasts. In fact, please do all three because it helps other people find us more easily. So thanks again for listening. And thank you, Polita. I will see you all on the next episode of Better in Bed. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.